0: All right, I want to continue on in James. So if if Adam doesn't come, we will continue on in James because I haven't heard God tell me to do anything else. But it's interesting to me that this morning we sing a song that says, everything changes, I just want you. And that song is is even now just still rolling around in my head that everything changes, that when, when God comes into our life, everything changes, that we don't just carry on with now uh, uh, Jesus gets put on the shelf. It's one of the things that we have to teach when we go to India is that when people get saved, Jesus isn't another God that gets added on the shelf to the list of gods, that he, he is God, he's the God, he's Yahweh, he becomes the centerpiece. In the West, we still have to do that. We still have to remove everything else and not just put Jesus on the shelf with the list of the other things that we worship. And James really harps on this difference between allowing the words and what we've taught to actually lock into our life and change how we operate. That the word of God, the scriptures actually makes everything change in us. You know, this is challenging when we sit, and for myself as well, we we sit and we hear sermon after sermon after sermon, we read scripture after scripture after scripture, but sometimes we fail to see how that comes from words on a page or, or words through a speaker into change in our life, into actual outworking, or as the scriptures call it, fruit in our life. And James, James continues this, this uh, what did Dave Barsh call it? A fatherly smack or a fatherly hug. He continues in James 3. And it's, it's incredible. I've got to tell you, this reading James, when I sat down to write this during the week and yesterday and last night because I just couldn't get what I wanted into, enough, into a small enough pocket. But I sat down to, I was going to preach this morning on all of James 3. And I I I sat down and I mapped out where I wanted to go. I said, okay, I'll cover all of this. After about an hour and about 4,000 words, I realized I'm not going to be able to get through all of James 3. There is so much that James plops along the way. There is, it's for such a small book, he throws out stakes that we have to chew on. But the problem is, is that as we read through James, it can be nice fancy word and we can wrote, learn it. We can learn it in our mind and say it back time and time and time again. But the difficulty about James is having it go from our understanding of what he's saying into our heart to then work out into our hands. James's whole letter to the church in Jerusalem, his whole position was take the Torah, take what you know, understand it through the lens of Christ and then outwork it in your city. So what we have to do now is take hundreds of thousands of sermons, Sunday after Sunday, coffee after coffee, take that, put it through the lens of Christ and then outwork it in our city. Outwork it in our workplace, outwork it in our families, outwork it everywhere that we go. That's the very message that James is saying. So he goes on in James 3, verse 1, he says, chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all who stumble, sorry, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. This teaching, this what James writes just here, should humble us to think in a greater way before we try and speak in to something. What we live in today is an age where everybody is an expert. Everybody is an expert. You get on Facebook and there's 40 million experts on subjects that they've probably never read a book on. The climate change debate. And all of a sudden, every man and his dog understood the intricacies of climate change. And I remember sitting there thinking, I don't know anything about climate change. I haven't read a single thing. I don't know a single author. I haven't heard a single lecture or anything about climate change. Yet I get online and I want to tell people. I want to tell you you're wrong. And you think, I remember sitting in a conversation, these two guys were wrestling about climate change. You know, it's going to wreck the world. We've got got a few years to live. It's a hoax. It's nonsense. And I remember I I just sat there and I said, hey, can either of you give me a name of an author who's actually studied climate change? Just one of them from either side. Silence. And then one guy said, that's not the point. I said, no, that is the point because this is a a topic that's this big and you guys are talking about it because you've done a quick Facebook search. You're trying to teach people around you. And see, what happens is in the Christian world particularly is we pick up the Bible, we read a few scriptures and all of a sudden we become these theologians who want to go and wrestle people and tell them, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm the one with the the final understanding of this verse. And what happens is we become teachers and God says, you were trying to take a mantle that I never gave you. You were carrying a heavier weight than I ever gave you. Now there's a difference between discussing a topic and trying to understand where truth lies. So Chris and I can discuss a topic and neither of us be the final authority, but we're trying to gain information from each other to have a better informed decision. We're not fighting against each other, we're fighting with one another. But what happens in today's world is we want to become experts, subject matter experts, and we want to say, I've got the truth. But God's saying, be careful. Sorry, James is saying, be careful as a teacher. When I stand up to preach, I'm nervous. I'm nervous every Sunday. I'm nervous when I go on a Thursday morning to sit with guys. I'm nervous not because I have to speak before people, but because I carry the weight of God to the place where I say, please, Lord, don't let me get this wrong. Please, Lord, don't let me send people to a place you're not sending them. Why? Because I have to answer for that. I have to stand before him and say, I did, God, everything I knew I could do. But what happens is people don't understand that, so they run out here and they say, I'm going to teach people. But if you lead all those sheep to a slaughter, it's you who has to stand before God and talk to them. It's you who has to answer before him. So when I step forward to preach, and I've preached some 46 times this year in front of a, a, a group of people, it doesn't get easier even if I feel like I have a well-put-together cracking sermon, it doesn't make it any easier because when I stand before him, James is saying, be careful those who teach. Be careful because you will be judged more harshly because you are leading a people to a place. So sometimes God just God wells inside me and I, I, I'm, I'm weeping for the people because I'm saying, God, help me. Help me lead a people where they're supposed to go. But I want to I, I I warn you in this, as James is warning the church in Jerusalem, just because you don't preach from a prophet doesn't mean you're not teaching those around you. You're teaching your children. You're teaching your work colleagues. You're teaching those around you. And, and James is saying, be careful. Take stock of what you're saying to them. Take stock and steward the place you're leading them. Why? Because there will come a time where you're going to have to answer for those that I put before you. That's a challenging thing. But James is saying, don't become this quick, hip-firing subject matter expert because you think that you want to be right all the time. It's challenging what James is saying. But he's saying the one who teaches, the one who instructs, there's a grace and authority that's been given in order for them to do that. I've said from this pulpit many times, the way Jess and I have picked up the role we're in is not one that I would say to others to go and do. It's not the way that I would say, hey, if you want to lead a church, just start when you're 23 and pick up a church that's been moulded together with plenty of things behind it and just trudge on. But God gave us a grace in a time to carry something that was heavier than our shoulders, to carry something that was unusually different because he said, here's a grace for you to lead and teach your people. Sometimes there's things, I don't know why I can pick it up so quickly. I don't know why I can write a sermon so quickly, but there's a grace that's been given that I thank God for every day. I know ministers that can't preach back to back even one back to back. That's not to toot my own horn. That's to say I'm weak and God has given me a grace. But what I'm saying is don't operate in a space where God hasn't given you a grace and an authority for. I only get to speak in to Josh's life because he allows me that place. He's given me that position. I can't take it from him. Because then I'm operating outside the grace. And that's what James is saying. Be careful. Be careful where you are. Be careful. I remember as a kid when when I used to watch the TV and and they'd have the news on and they would bring on like the, the weather expert. You know, he has a doctorate in meteorology or a doctorate in this or that. And I remember that as, as kids, we always had to listen to that guy. And whatever that guy or gal said was like, oh, okay, well, that's, you know, like the, the reporter would spout on about something, then they'd bring on the expert and he'd be like, oh, okay, he's the guy who has the, 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 the time in it. He's the guy we listen to. But nowadays, even the expert isn't given any authority. We go, oh, what would he know? He's only studied it for 10 years. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But in every time we see a teacher, in every time we see a leader, we see two things that often take place the sacrifice in time and effort required to grow in the subject, and the consequences of leading and guiding people into a particular direction. As the leader of a nation, when the nation goes a particular direction, even if it was outside of his power, guess who takes the rap? He does. Why? Because he's in a position where he takes takes all of it on his shoulders, the consequences of what he's done. But hopefully, hopefully in a good leader, there's been sacrifice in time and training to get them to that place. So for me, when I write a sermon, it takes me a long time because I want to ensure that I'm sacrificing all of myself to learn the subject matter, to ask God to reveal something to me, I can't just walk in willy-nilly and fire from the hip and hope that I'm going to get somewhere. What does this have to do with being a teacher? James is asking us to be subject matters in Christ, to be expert, sorry, subject matters expert in the Scriptures. That takes two things from us. It takes sacrifice in time and effort to read your Scriptures, to spend time with God, to know who He is. And it takes the consequences of leading somebody down a particular path. That's why the most important thing you can learn as a leader, go to your knees. Go to your knees. God, please reveal that this is right because I'm about to lead the people in this direction. Please reveal to me that this is where you're leading them. Reveal to them. Not every one of us needs to be an expert. You can let something go by. Keep your mouth shut at times. That's something that I'm really learning because God's revealing things in conversations where I go, I know the answer, but there's such a wrestle before me. There's such an argument, such a disdain that's happening in the conversation that there is no place for a, a third voice to enter in. And God's saying, be quiet and wait. Meek in heart, wait. I don't need to be right. I don't need to be the guy I don't need to let my insecurity to be right push in to cause myself to be a teacher in a place that God hasn't given me a grace. Oftentimes when we don't know who we are, when we don't know who God's made us to be, we want to be right all the time. We want to be the hero in the room. Why? Because we don't feel like we're the hero in the room. So I've got to step up, make myself bigger, and talk louder to become the hero to make myself feel better. But what happens, as James is warning us, is that you become a teacher of people that you were never given a grace for. Does this make sense? Has everyone got a little story running through their head where they're going, wow, I know where I've done that. Because I have. Often it happens, and I start speaking, and instantly God rebukes me, and I have to go, oh. I'm trying to become the hero in this conversation. I'm trying to get my point across because I don't know who I am. But when we know we're sons and daughters of God, I don't have to be right. I don't need you guys to listen to me to make me feel good. It's taken me a while to understand that. And at times I'm still learning because I'll get in a room with somebody and I need them to know what I know so they know I'm a good, I'm a good theologian. You know, so they know I'm a good I'm a good reader. But what happens is we start trying to become the expert. We start trying to teach the room when that was never, ever our grace. And God says, just be quiet. James is warning us, you will be judged more harshly. There will be a push that God will say to you, what did you do with that which I gave you, not that that I didn't give you? Where were you operating outside of your grace? Paul calls it a metron. Where were you operating outside of your metron? I gave you a path. I gave you a place. Did you lead, guide, and teach in that area that I gave to you? We'll be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. He then goes on in James... uh, In James three, three, six. Actually let me pause there. Let me let me hit this home just because I feel like <laughs> that Jesus takes this even further for us. In Matthew eighteen, five to six, Jesus says this whoever receives one child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great milestone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That word for sin there, that word for sin there is, is skedazo, and It's not the word we've ever seen for sin before. what well, we see that we see earlier. It's not sin as in you won't make it to heaven. It means to trip up or trap. And a scary thing for this, I know this is heavy, but this is what James is writing. This is something that we actually have to work through. The James says, sorry, Jesus says, if you cause one of these children to stumble, it's better that you have a stone wrapped around your neck and you drown in the sea. That's the New Testament. We can't chalk that up to not in the New Testament. That's Jesus saying, be careful the way you lead the people. And he's not talking just to church leaders. He's not talking to those who stand on a pulpit. He's talking to each individual believer who has been given a sphere of people to lead. And he says, be careful. Be careful with the little ones. Be careful with those who are just coming into the faith. Don't let your pride to be a superstar lead them to a place that, I can't, that they can't reach me anymore. This should, in us, Bring a reverential fear, a reverential awe to say, God, how am I leading those around me? How am I leading those in my workplace? How am I leading those in my home? How am I leading those on the football field or the golf course? What does my tongue look like when I'm speaking to those in the workplace? What does my life look like when those who are Christians aren't around and I'm the only light that's shining? He's not saying match yourself and make sure you do the right thing. He's saying don't let others fall away because of a moment and a lapse in who you are to lead them to a place to stumble. Take stock of the little ones around you. And that's not talking about age. It's talking about maturity in Christ. Those who don't know Christ quite as much as you do, you become the authority. You become the, the one further down in generation, the older brother, if you like. And you are to lead that person and pull them up into more of Christ. Does that make sense? Is anyone frightened by that a little bit? And a healthy fear? Yeah, I am. I am. Because I start thinking to myself, what does my life look like? Am I helping people or am I hindering people? James continues on in James 3 and he says this. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of the pilot directs. Whatever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. However great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is set. Sorry, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I think the interesting part in this verse is that last line where James says, it's set on fire by hell. He's saying that such a small part of our body, such a small organ can guide and lead all of us. I love the amount of boat analogies in the scriptures as well, that a massive boat can be led by a tiny, tiny rudder. That without that tiny rudder, without that small thing, as Arnold tell you when they lost theirs, you can't go anywhere. Right. You can't do anything. You can't move anywhere. You can't. You can't direct the ship. But also, if the if the if the rudder is broken, if the part that directs us is broken, it leads us places we don't want to go. It leads us into a path of destruction. And James says here that it is set on fire by hell. That there is a there is a position that the enemy, that the the the, um, the dark forces, the the. Understand the kingdom of darkness will take apart your tongue if you allow that operation to lead you to a place that you don't want to go, to lead you into a position. And James says that this thing, this organ that's in our mouth can set an entire forest ablaze. One comment, one word, one tone to a friend can burn a friendship to the ground. If Josh's heart isn't in the right place and my tongue's not in the right place, where have you been all week, can break a relationship to pieces. Now he goes away and he's upset. How dare Ben. He doesn't know what I'm going through, why I wasn't there. I'm like, man, I love this guy. I just wanted to know where he was. But I said it in such a way that tears the friendship apart. One comment with a tone can wreck a strong friendship. If what? If his heart's not in the right place and I don't bright on my tongue and, and think before I speak. James is writing to say that this thing in your mouth can lead you to a place you don't want to go. You ever been in a place where someone's come to you and they said, I'm really upset with you, and you have absolutely no idea why? And you've got to sit down and have a strong conversation. You thought everything was all hunky-dory, but they say, no, you said that one thing. And always our defense is, oh man, I must have just been having an off day. I didn't even realize what I said there, right? But what our tongue did was sent that person into a spiral that could have gone for a year. It's not, it's a part of their heart that we, I have to realize Josh's life is for me. So if he says something I don't like, I've got to be able to go to him and say, hey bro, did you mean that like that? Or would you just accidentally say that? But the part is is that he needs to be careful how this organ works because it can burn the entire forest down. And the enemy will use that place to offend and to upset and tear people apart. If we were able to go back in the spirit and see how many churches have been burnt to the ground because of this one organ... And one simple comment that could have been re-explained, that if the time was given could have been rebuilt, how many times that could have ripped something apart. And now in the age we live, we speak with this in our room with nobody around and then we type it on our keyboard and we mash enter and it just spirals and spirals and spirals and spirals out of control. Those of you who are married will understand it as well babe, have you fed the dog? And have you fed the dog? Are two very different conversations, right? One is, I want to know, so if you haven't, I'll do it for you. The other is, how dare you ask me to feed the dog when I have hundreds of other jobs going? But if it can be explained, if it can be well thought out, and I think about my tone... And I think about what I'm gonna say, then I can dismantle the enemy from putting my wife and I in a four-day conversation about whether or not I think she does enough or I do enough around the house. That's a made up, that's a made-up problem, everyone. I'm just just ease up, ease out there. Everyone wind back a little bit. Oh, he's oh he's joking. Oh, he's <laughs> better go talk to Jess before you guys get to it. But this organ can wreck our lives. This organ in our mouth can burn things to the ground. Proverbs 18.21 says this, life and death are in the power of our tongue. Life and death are in the power of our tongue. And then the end of that verse says, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Those who love it will eat of its fruits. When we allow death to exit our mouth, Guess what fruit we eat from? Death. We eat from the fruit in which we sow. So if I'm constantly speaking death over Josh, if I'm constantly speaking death over our friendship and he's a pain in the balm and he does this and he does that, I start reaping of that language that comes out of my mouth. I start reaping out of the things that I sow. I start reaping more and more havoc in my life. I caught myself a few years back saying something that I, I was saying for a few weeks and then one day I, I heard myself say it and I was like, that is awful. But if something bad happened, like I, I would pull at the lights and the light would go red, I'd be like, oh, of course. Right? And then like something else would happen, like I'd go to pay for something and my card would decline. I'm like, oh, of course that'll happen. And I caught myself and I started realizing I am rehearsing the death of, over my life that everything is negative. I'm rehearsing that. So I actually now am expecting death rather than expecting life. So I was working through something with somebody the other day and we, we were trying to, we were working on a, on, a, on a document to submit and we were trying to get to a place and there was a bit of language going around of, oh, it'll never get through. Oh, this will never work. Oh, that'll never work. And I just muted my mic. I went, God, help us. Just took a moment, I prayed, I said, God, help us see it in a different light. Because what we start doing is we start rehearsing death from our tongue and we start speaking it into our atmosphere and into our life. And what happens is that starts to manifest, that starts to grow. So we see death after death after death. Oh, of course I got a speeding ticket. Oh, what's going to happen Next. I'm probably going to get this, or I'm probably going to get that. And what we do is we get ourselves in, in, in rehearse of death. But what God says to us is bring yourself out of that. Bring yourself out of that place. This is another one that gets us all the time. And I was hoping Jenny was going to be here because I was going to use her to explain. But what we do in ourselves is that we rehearse sickness on ourselves often. We say, geez, I'm not feeling good today. Oh, geez, I'm feeling run down pretty tired, got a cough coming on. Jeez, I think I've got a chest infection. Haven't seen the doctor, but I'm pretty sure it's a chest infection. I've got a chest infection. Oh, all of a sudden now I've seen the doctor. Oh, got to get... And it runs from time and time and time. We've rehearsed, we've rehearsed, we've rehearsed. But what God's asking us to do is to live out of his truth, right? Now there's a difference between truth and reality. There is a difference between truth and reality. We can't live in this fantasy world where we don't ever accept the reality. If I'm broke and there's no money in my account, the reality is there's no money in my account. So I can't walk around and just keep flashing my card and taking groceries and saying, nah, Jesus says that I've got money, so this is mine, and just walk out with it, right? I don't I'm not living in reality. The reality is there's no money in my account, but the truth is that Jesus is my provider. So I choose to live from the truth to change my reality, but I don't live in this fairyland where we where we just skip around and Christians don't get hurt and we always have money. No, that's not the case. I'll never forget. I was sitting at lunch with some some friends, or some some guys I was working with, and I, I got a I had a throat lozenge in my pocket, and my throat was feeling a little bit a little bit hoarse. I think that's the right word, sore. So I just, as I finished lunch, washed my mouth up, so pop out a lolly, pop it in my mouth. This guy across the table went berserk at me because I was not living in faith that my throat would be healed. And I took this, I took this barrage of, <laughs> of verses and 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 things that were hurting me. But the reality was, was no, my throat was sore. So I'm going to move to stop my throat from being sore. But that doesn't mean that I get my throat and go, oh, geez, my throat's sore. I think I'm coming down with a cold. Oh, might be a chest infection. It might be this. It might be that. No, I go, it's just, oh, it might be cancer. And then all of a sudden, my world is spinning, right? Because I go, I rehearse death after death after death. Rather, I pop a lolly and I go, ah, oh, it's no dramas. It's just got a sore throat. And I can live from the truth of God. So when someone says, I'm very sick, let's say they have cancer, the the reality is is that they are sick. Okay, That's the reality. Why? Because I can't move about. I can't get up. I'm in sickness. But the truth is, is that by Jesus' stripes you were healed. So what I need to do is bring God's truth into my reality because I'm living from the reality of the world. I'm not living from the truth of God. So we can be in reality but not be living in the truth, right? We can be living in reality but not be living in the truth because God says that this is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That when Jesus is in us, he's operating as truth. But we have to get our spirit and our, and our soul, our mind, will, and emotions to line up so that we're living from that place of truth. Does that make sense? So when we're sick, when we're sick, right, and Jess gets frustrated with me at this because I will give her a day, day and a half to lay around, and she'll she'll contest this, lay around, have the tissues around. But then after that, right, let's go. Open the blinds. We're not sick. Yes, I understand you're slow moving. Clean up the tissues. Let's start declaring the truth. Yes, we'll still take your medicine, take the cough medicine, blow your nose. Don't go outside. But the truth is, we are healed. So open the blinds. Let's not wallow in our pity. Let's not wallow and rehearse death. Oh, I'm so sick. It's so hard. Let's go. Mild. (laughs) It's getting better. (laughs) But but the reality is is that as Jess starts to get better, she gets fresh. Get outside with a cup a cup of tea. Sit in the sun. Start to rehearse something different. Start to rehearse the truth, not the death. If you're stuck in a situation that's showing time and time and time again, stop rehearsing the pain and the struggle. Start rehearsing the truth. The reality is my marriage is struggling. The truth is God will pull me through and He'll provide a platform for it. The, tr- the reality is I can't pay next week's bill, next week's bills. The truth is God will provide for me. So I start rehearsing the truth over my life and I stop rehearsing the pain and I get off the merry-go-round. Because I say I'm not taking this anymore. I'm not taking this anymore. I'm going to move where you want me to move. Life and death is in the power of a tongue. How much time do I have? Can I I have 10 more minutes? Give me 10 more minutes. Who said 30 seconds? That's lies. (laughs) Give me, okay, quickly go to, if you, let me. (laughs) The reality is I should have stopped. Ten more minutes, I promise. Five. I've got five and a half more minutes. I'm going to skip the Tower of Babel and I'm going to go to go down to, uh, to 7. 3 verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James uses the language that we curse those around us when we speak ill of them. When I speak ill of Josh behind his back, I am cursing him and thus cursing myself. That's a hard word to what James is saying. That When we start to rethink our lives and we start to rethink that God, that James is saying that, that you are cursing these people. That when I, when I whinge about Mal and Edith, I'm cursing them. And they carry the image and likeness of God. They are sons and daughters of the Most High. And I now enter into a position where I'm cursing them, where I'm saying that they aren't sons and daughters. I'm saying they're not priests when we operate in this place, we act outside of who God is and we curse our brothers and sisters. Gossip in the church about one another is one of the most awful things that is taking place around, between church leaders, leadership teams, congregants in churches, because we feel higher and mighty that by putting Josh down, I'll feel better about myself because he's worse than I am. But what I do in that place is I set a curse upon him and upon myself. That when I operate, I'm not thinking through who he really is. That if I see him like, like God sees him, I want to pull him up. I want to encourage him. When I see him through the lens of Jesus, there's not a word of gossip that comes in my mind about Josh because I'm seeing him like God sees him. I'm seeing him saved and nestled in Christ that when God looks at Josh, he sees Christ. Why? Because he's hidden in him. When I look at Josh, I need to see the same thing. So before I go to slander my brother, I need to stop and think, what are you doing? You're about to call apart a child of God. That these leaders that we see trying to navigate one of the most difficult times in church history for a long time through COVID, and all we can do is throw stones at one another, All we can do is call one another out and tell each other, this guy's not that, he's a false this, he doesn't have one of them. You don't know that guy. And if, if he is saved, he is a son of the Most High. I heard this guy ripping a a televangelist to shreds and he asked me what I thought to join in. I said, man, I don't know. I don't know the guy. And I'm I'm sure his egg's not about to start throwing stones if he's a son of God. I'm not going to start cursing somebody who's a son and daughter of God. And I don't know. Yes, we have to protect the flock from false prophets. Yes, we have to make sure that false things don't get passed away. But do it through the doctrine and theology. Don't attack the man because he's a son and daughter of the Most High. And if you're wrong, if you're wrong, then you are cursing God's elect. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be labelled as cursing the sons and daughters and thus taking that upon myself. Your tongue can start a fire that will burn down a forest. Finish with this. James 3, 10 to 12. From the same mouth came blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Mark Eltringham, a very good friend of mine, he was an apostle of this house, he and his wife Charmaine. He used to say this, principles of God are caught, not taught. They're caught, not taught. An apple tree isn't an apple tree because Bunnings put it on the label to say this is an apple tree you're buying. An apple tree is an apple tree because it produces apples. Same with an orange tree and a lemon tree. They're not oranges or lemons because of the way they look, but because of the fruit that they produce, because of what comes out from inside of them. If people tell me that I have COVID, but I really have chicken pox, Josh won't catch COVID, he'll catch chicken pox. Why? Because it doesn't matter what you've told me I've got, what matters is what I've really got. That's what will be transferred. So what James is saying is that if we operate from a place where we say, I'm this and I'm that, those around you will know very quickly because it'll come out of your life. I don't care how well you can put a sentence together with Christian language. I don't care how well you can preach a sermon. I don't even care how well you give to the needy. When your life doesn't ooze Christ, when there's, no, when there's no peace and joy that comes from your life, I struggle to spend time and be around when those things aren't matching with what you're saying. It doesn't matter what comes out of my mouth. What matters is what matches my life. So when I can say I'm a good person, I'm meek and mild and I, and I love people, but then I go and I don't love people, everyone starts to look and go, I don't understand. He says he's this, but his words don't match what his actions and what his life actually looks like. What's inside us will bubble out. Jesus says this in Luke 6, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth will speak. This organ that can burn down a forest speaks from here. That as this starts to move through, as we start to operate in who God is, you start to see in somebody's life. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you start to see how, how, how healthy their heart is. And this is not a judgment. It's not to look at somebody and go, he's not as good as I am. It's to say, show me what your heart is operating from. I've said it a hundred times before. I don't care how awesome somebody is, how well they can speak. If they can't care for their waiter, and say please and thank you? And what's happening in here? If they can't take a a telemarketer phone call without abusing the person on the other line, what's happening in here? If they can't get cut off in traffic and quickly repent, what's happening in here? What's overflowing from here? See, we can all clean ourselves up on a Sunday morning. We can all look dandy. I can make myself look a million bucks from this barrel. I can present a life from here that doesn't exist. I can present a beautiful picture. But when you come into my home and the door gets closed and you see the inward parts of my life, you start to see what's happening in here. That's the same for all of us. You can clean yourself up when you're preaching about Jesus. But what's happening in here? Reading through James has got me to ask these questions. You can take them or leave them. This is what what James has has made me think. Are my insides pure if my outsides carry a motive that is not pure? Do I have a pure heart if my hands are not clean? Am I carrying the heart of God and speaking life to those around me and those in my life? Or am I speaking death and bringing death to those around me? Am I bringing life or death into my family and my friends? And am I operating in who God says I am or am I choosing to be an advocate for the realm of darkness? Am I using this organ in my mouth to bring about the kingdom of God or to bring about the kingdom of darkness? Is this thing in my mouth advancing or hindering the kingdom? That's what I'm asking myself. And I'm asking myself that in many areas of my life. Where is this thing advancing or hindering? And what do I have to change? Where, is my, where are my hands not clean? Where is my heart not pure? Not because I want to earn something, not because I want God to love me, but because God, I want to operate in your will. And I know that in your will, that stuff doesn't take place. So I want to bring myself in every area of my life into your will to operate from who you are. Where is my heart not pure and my hands not clean? Is that okay? We'll leave it there. I promise we'll leave it there. I want us to leave with this. What are you using this thing in your mouth for? Are you building your children up? Are you building your work colleagues up? Are you building your wife up? Are you building your husband up? Are you using it to, to, um, to rehearse death? Death? Or are you using it to rehearse life? Are you using this thing to glorify God? Or are you using it to stay in the mess you've been in? What are we using our tongue for? Are we advancing God's kingdom? Are we doing as he'd ask us to do? So I pray, Father, I come before you right now. And God, like we sung in that song this morning, everything changes. I just want you. Lord, I pray this morning for all of us that everything changes in our life. That everything changes in our life. Lord, by our flesh, we cannot tame our tongue. But by your spirit, we can. So Lord, help us. Help us to tame our tongue and to think before we speak. Help us to see the areas where we're we're sowing death to change and to sow life. Help us to speak well over one another. Help us to speak well over our kids and over our, our spouses. Help us to speak well over our bosses and over our colleagues. Lord, reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us, God, how we use our tongue for your kingdom. Jesus, we love you, we honour you, we declare your goodness and your kingship in this place. You are ruler and reiner in our life. We love you, Jesus, we honour you, and we glorify your name. In your beautiful name we pray, amen.